Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. this unheard event on the fringes of the Tory party conference here in Manchester. We exist at Unheard to combat and push back against herd mentality and to try and promote independent thinking wherever we can find it. Um, so clearly we had to come to the Conservative Party conference and ask the underlying question, the, the bigger question that perhaps you won't find within the security cordon just a few meters down the road, which is, are the Tories doomed? So we've, we've talked about it a little bit with our um, panel and we've, we've decided to expand the motion slightly because instead of just disappearing down a kind of cephalogical rabbit hole where we argue about how the Tories might or might not perform in future elections, really the underlying philosophical question is, are Conservatives doomed? So the, the success at the polls of the Conservative Party may be a big feature of that, but it's not the whole question. Um, and so we've sort of opened it out a little bit. Um, and uh, I think our panel will have very interesting things to say about it. So without further ado, let me introduce them to you. To my right is Team Doom. Um, we have at the end uh, a face many of you will recognize, Peter Hitchens, um, who has not attended Conservative Conference for, I think, 10 years. Is that, is that right? Something like that, yeah. So we have managed to lure him back to uh, discuss the demise of this party. Um, he is joined by Ed West, who is our very own in-house doommonger. Um, he actually literally wrote the book, Small Men on the Wrong Side of History, Tory Boys, um, which was published last year during the pandemic um, and is still available at all good bookshops. Um, on the more sunshiny side of things, uh, those people who think that the conference down the road is not meeting in vain, but there is something to hope for, um, is Miriam Cates, uh, MP. She is MP for uh, Stockbridge and Penistone, is that right? Penistone, Penistone and Stockbridge, Stockbridge yeah. sorry. Um, she joined, she became an MP in 2019, so has had one of the kind of weird experience of most of her time as an MP, there has been no parliament to meet at. Yeah. So she, this is the first time many people would have seen her in 3D, and it's a great pleasure. Um, so thanks for coming. And uh, Matt Goodwin, um, many of you will know also, another person who has appeared on the pages of Unheard. He is professor of politics at the University of Kent, um, also author of the definitive book on national populism, and is attacked reassuringly regularly on Twitter. Uh, so do follow him if you want to watch that and enjoy it as we do. Um, the format uh, will be not, we're not going ultra formal here, like a kind of Oxford Union debate, um, but we are gonna have opening statements. Um, so I'm gonna ask, each of you to stand to, when you give your opening five minute or so uh, speech. Um, at that point, you can rebut what other people are saying if you think they've been mistaken before you. And we will then open it out to more of a discussion between us. And at the end, we, were, we are going to do a vote from you, the audience, to see who we think has won the day on this crucial question. Um, without further ado, let's start with you, sir. Am I, actually, am I actually mic'd up? Oh, yeah. You are mic'd yeah. up? All right. So tell us 
why the Tories are doomed. Right, so thanks very much, Freddie. Um, yes, we are team despair and doom over here, so if you're looking for hope, it's the wrong place. Um, so this is basically, this is the subject of my book and probably quite a few articles I've written down the years on what I see as a big seismic shift in culture and over the last 50 years, which inevitably has uh, an influence on our politics. And, it, and when the book came out in March, obviously, first week lockdown, terrible timing. But it's also terrible timing because a lot of people said, well, how can you say that you know, conservatism is doomed? The Tories have just won their biggest um, election victory in 25 years. Um, and yes, that does seem paradoxical. And you know, I think today I saw, I think Matt was tweeting, there's this 135th uh, you know, election lead for the Tories in a row. Uh, and it might seem you know, counterintuitive at the time when Labour seems so unelectable and, and it's kind of clownish. And you watch the Labour event in Brighton in a debating definition of woman and the cervix, whatever. Um, but my basic idea was that you know, the traditional concept is that people get more conservative as they get older. And I found that when I was in my mid-30s, the people I knew from school, university, and my local area, they, they actually the opposite was happening. Um, you know, I thought we'd get to mid thirties, we'd all be, you know, joining the golf club and, you know, complaining about political correctness. But it was kind of the opposite. They were much more on any kind of social issue. They were much liberal, more liberal than they would have been when they were twenty. Um, so I and I saw as well that this was especially true in things like the professions. So like doctors, traditionally doctors tend to be quite conservative, quite right wing. Um, much more so in America, but also in Britain now, that's very much the opposite. Under thirty doctors overwhelmingly left the centre. Academia is obviously like the most extreme example. That was you know, like three to one, and now the ratio is probably 15 or 20 to one uh, in some areas. And these are like, the children of the natural Tories, the sort of middle class, the upper middle class, people who would have um, instinctively been sort of the backbone of that. Um, and so I, you know, the more I looked at it, it's the same in America, where you know, there was a big generational shift. People born after about 1975 to 1980, and even more so much later, their views on social matters were um, much more liberal. Uh, and it had a lot, from I think, to the decline of religion, because in Britain, the sort of Conservative Party is so linked to um, the Church of England traditionally. And also, once people stopped having religion, uh, and obviously religion has been in decline for a long time in Britain, but once now it's got to a point where it's kind of people's moral sense is now their politics. And so politics takes a place of religion and that politics is kind of center-left. So that's the kind of norm um, amongst people born you know, under 45. So, and, so the counterintuitive thing is that, okay, the Tories have just won. And because politics is realigned, the Tories have a majority because you know, the Labour Party has like this kind of solid 25% population who are sort of quite progressive but it's just not anything like enough to win an election. And they also tend to all congregate in the same constituencies, which are really you know, unhelpful. So my constituency, which swapped sides six times in the 80s and 90s, is now like 75% Labour, um, which is you know, really unhelpful for them. But um, all the trends are towards Labour. So all the groups which tend to vote Labour are rising in numbers, the young, renters, the childless, um, the more urban people come, uh, the more modern they become, the, the less conservative they do. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a trend. And I wouldn't go as far as to say that people saying, oh, you know, look, leave voters are sort of dying out. But in the long term, it doesn't look any, like any sign that people are becoming more conservative. So, I mean, where does that leave the, the Tory party? I think for the next two general elections, they still have a, uh, a huge advantage. And you know, the counter market to mine is saying, well, you know, you're talking about sort of the social circles which are very upper middle class, you know, based in London, which is true. Um, it's not representative. I live in like the most awful progressive part of London. Um, <laughs> well, I'm like a complete freak politically. But most people do tend to start to imitate those who are sort of more higher status than them. And so people will start to adopt these, these um uh, these positions on most things. Inevitably, that's happened in every society. The higher status people, people follow their ideology, follow their religion. Uh, you know, so the nightmare vision of the future is like you know, Twitter, say so Twitter isn't Britain, but I think Twitter will be Britain in like 2030 or at latest 2040. Uh, and that's gonna be a hell of a place to be. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very depressing. Thank you. But fortunately, I work don't is, agree. My work is um,
So, is the Conservative Party doomed? Are Conservatives doomed? Well, sorry to stay on the numbers just briefly, but electorally, no, of course we're not doomed. We're consistently ahead in the polls. Uh, all sorts of things work in our favour. Boundary changes, the end of the fixed-term Parliament Act, Scotland. How can Labour get a majority again without a serious number of Scot Scottish seats? They're not going to get there many time soon. Um, but I think also, you talked about the realignment, and I don't think that the realignment has necessarily finished. And you look at Hartlepool, a seat that we didn't win in 2019, that we have won um, in a by-election recently. And you know, we talk about these red wall voters. Well, I was born and brought up in Sheffield. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I can remember the hatred of Thatcher in the playground of my primary school. We learnt rhymes about how horrible Thatcher was, how evil she was, and how much she hated working people. And now I was elected in 2019 as the first Conservative MP to represent a Sheffield seat in nearly 30 years. And you cannot underestimate the significance of that shift. Voting Labour was a generational commitment for generation after generation after generation. And now that commitment has begun to be broken. Perhaps the Brexit party was the kind of gateway drug. But now that commitment has begun to be broken. Who knows where it will end? And actually, there's been a social change in how uh, socially acceptable it is to vote Conservative. So I'm not sh at all sure that that realignment is, is finished. I mean, who knows? You can't read everything into one by-election result. But I certainly think that our electoral prospects... Uh, are not at all dim. And Boris, um, he cuts through the class barrier. He came to Stocksbridge, steel town in my constituency, been Labour for, for you know, generations until relatively recently uh, on the side of a building was get the effing Tories out. And here comes Boris to a hero's welcome. People shouting, Boris, Boris. I mean, it was electric. You would not believe this is a Stocksbridge steel town. And I think, you know, obviously, you know, I come from this place and I, I've felt the change, but you can't underestimate the significance of this shift uh, in the kind of northern red wall working class vote towards conservatism. So we're not doomed from an electoral point of view. But is conservative, conservatism doomed as a, as a movement? Well, I think we need to park COVID because there were a lot of decisions made in COVID that weren't conservative. You know, I've voted against extending the regulations, I voted against um, compulsory vaccination for care workers, I'm concerned about vaccine passports. But I think we all also, all, we kind of need to just park it as a wartime experience. It wasn't conservative, but the whole of the rest of the world responded in a similar way, and we need to get back to, to conservative government. And I think there are um, signs of hope that we are doing that. But the question is, what is conservatism, isn't it? What can we agree on as conservative? Um, was it Thatcher? Uh, and I know a lot of people at party conference see Thatcher as kind of a pinnacle as conservatives, but I don't think she was conservative. I think she was radical. I think free market capitalism actually led to our period of greatest unpopularity, especially in the North. And it created, sadly, some of the inequalities that we're now trying desperately um, to reverse. So how far do we go back? And I suppose I would settle on a one nation, a traditional one nation view of, of conservatism about preserving what's good, the good things about our society and, and our institutions, and having really good social and economic um, uh, policies for ordinary working people. And that is summed up in the vision of levelling up. What more conservative policy is there than levelling up? It's about giving people opportunities, it's about giving people hope. It's about not a handout, a hand up, another uh, well-worn phrase, but it's absolutely true. And you look at things like the Towns Fund. In Stocksbridge, we've had the Towns Fund. £25 million of government money, but not prescriptive. The community has got together. We've got the private sector, the public sector, the third sector, consulted with the community, decided how we want to spend this money in the way that will best benefit Stocksbridge, both now and in the future. And that's being given the go-ahead. It's a very conservative way uh, of levelling up and, and giving opportunities. Um, are all our policies conservative? No, they're possibly not. But do we have a conservative vision? Are we heading in the right direction? Yes. I think there's more we can do. I think we are not doing enough on family policy, um, for example, a very conservative institution. <coughs> but on Ed's point about conservative voters kind of naturally dying out, Education is the big divide, as you said, in voting at the moment. But actually, one of the things that our further education plan is seeking to do is to re-establish further education or technical training at the heart of education. And if we move away from this obsession with education uh, with universities and the status of university education, then I think we'll get back to a much more conservative base uh, in future. And if we can fix the housing price, uh, crisis and get more people owning homes, then again, we've got more potential... Um, Conservative voters, so let's hope Gove can sort that out for us. 
So yes, we are conservative. We've had a blip in COVID, but we've got great electoral prospects. We've very much got conservative values at the heart of levelling up. So I think conservatism is alive and well. Uh, 12 years ago, I think, to the day, uh, weather satellites run by NASA recorded a rare event of global cooling about 200 yards from where we're sitting now. This resulted from me making a speech to a body called the Bruges Group, which some of you may have heard of, in which I said that it would be a disaster for the country if the Conservatives were to win the next election, which was 2010, and that if anybody was seriously Conservative, the thing they should do would be at the very least abstain. Uh, from doing so, because by voting Conservative, what they would do would be to confirm the putsch uh, which had taken place within the party, uh, led by David Cameron and George Osborne, uh, to turn it into a Blairite formation. Now, uh, my problem with British politics is this. I am a former Marxist-Leninist, therefore I understand what's going on. And those of you who aren't, most of the time, don't. I agree with, uh, with almost everything that Ed and Kate said, technically, but it completely misses the point about the real nature and direction of politics in this country, which is that the, the real changes do not take place at general elections. They take place largely within political parties when they're taken over by tendencies. The Blairite revolution is the revolution of my generation and my lot, uh, people like me who were at university in the late 1960s and early 1970s, who then moved on uh, into the professions, particularly education, broadcasting, journalism, the law, increasingly recently even the police, and who, who continued to impose and introduce our revolutionary ideas into those professions. And of course, they made their way into politics. And in 1997, uh, when uh, the Blairite Labour Party, which was effectively in politics Euro-communist, came into office, Finally, the, 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 source, the main source of political power in this country, in, in Downing Street and elsewhere, was aligned uh, with a culture which had gone far to the left, the culture which, which Ed has described. What is conservatism anyway? What would we be defending if we were actually conservatives? Very few people these days, I think, would be willing to, to, to actually confess to being conservative on issues such as the married family. Uh, or, or, or to say, as I do, for instance, that, uh, th that the idea that it is preferable for women to be forced out to work in call centres uh, rather, uh, rather than permitted to, to do the most honourable, important work available raising the next generation, that this is actually not necessarily a good thing. Uh, these, uh, these ideas have long been on the fringe of politics and many others which I hold as well. And they, they result from the colossal cultural educational, social, and moral revolution, which this country has been going through since the 1960s. One of the principal captures of it was the Conservative Party. And this is the reason for my reception at the Bruges Group, where the temperature of the room dropped by about 30 degrees Fahrenheit as I spoke, because I said this thing. Many of the people there present at the time have since written to me and said that they are very sorry that they gave me the raw prawn. But it's too late, uh, because they did. And there was absolutely no market at the time for, for, for any suggestion that what we needed in this country, uh, a, a point which I made very strongly at the time, was to destroy the Conservative Party as the principal obstacle to Conservative politics in this country. And we now see uh, a country and a Conservative Party in which the heirs of Blair, and there really is an heirs of Blair now, is one Alexander Pfeffel Boris Johnson. Uh, he is the new Blair, and his government is a Blairite cabinet, and everything that they do, although many of them are actually too thick and ill-educated to understand what it is that they're doing, almost everything they do is the Blairite agenda promoted by Peter Mandelson and Alistair Campbell back in 1997. The thing about Peter Mandelson and Alistair Campbell is that they understood it. Uh, the thing about this lot is that they don't, and they pursue it for the simple reason that the Conservative Party is and remains the most efficient organisation ever devised for obtaining office for the sons of gentlemen. And that is what it is. It has no other purpose. It has no politics. If you rely on it and you say, oh, right, we have a conservative government in office, therefore conservative things will happen, then you are living in a world of delusion. But then, as I said, most people who aren't or have never been Marxist-Leninists do live in a world of total delusion most of the time. Sorry about that, but I've just been lucky. Well, thank you very much uh, to Unheard for uh, the invitation and uh, thank you for to uh, my co-panellists for um, setting out some interesting thoughts. And I'm not a 
Marxist-Leninist, uh, Peter, but hopefully I've got we some... You might be without knowing it. That's the problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I might have something, something to offer. Um, I want to make two, two points. Um, the first, unfortunately, uh, is cephalogical. Sorry, Freddie. The second is, is more to do with ideology. Um, to push back uh, against Ed, I think the, there is a temptation to believe that demography is always destiny. Uh, and if you've been following the debates about politics for as long as you know, political scientists older than me have from the 1950s, there's always been an argument that demography will inevitably favour uh, the left. And clearly, as we can see around much of the world, actually the reality is, is more complicated. At the last election, for example, the tipping age at which you became more likely to vote conservative fell from 47 uh, years of age in 2017 to about 39 years of age in 2019. Uh, we've seen Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party become, uh, in relative terms, a more working class party, uh, a more non-graduate party uh, than really any previous uh, Conservative Party uh, since before the era of uh, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, the North-South divide in British politics has closed for the first time uh, since 1997. Uh, and we've seen uh, the Conservative Party branch into uh, areas that the Conservative Party has either not held since the 1950s or never before uh, held in history. Uh, these are things that we haven't seen before. And if you look across the Atlantic, we are, we, we've also now seen a Conservative movement um, making inroads into groups that we were always told would never vote for the Conservative Party. Donald Trump's electorate was much more diverse than Mitt Romney's was a decade before. We saw the Republicans uh, make significant inroads into African-American, Latino, Hispanic, Asian-American voters, largely because they do not share the aspirations of the progressive, uh, cultural, uh, revolutionary, Blairite uh, type left. Um, so demography is not destiny. And even in Britain, we've got some evidence, and Unheard published it, um, uh, showing that the Zuma generation who uh, come to my lectures and, lectures and seminars are actually not as socially uh, uh, and culturally liberal as their millennial uh, counterparts. It's not to say that the drift will not continue, but it is to say that it might actually begin to slow uh, and things might become uh, a little bit less predictable. Another key point here is that socially, Britain is becoming more liberal over time. But in, in many other areas, Britain is not actually becoming uh, more uh, Blairite. If you look at our attitudes on crime, uh, on issues around law and order, on issues around the nation, feeling proud of Britain, things like that, actually we've seen some remarkable stability. And the value divide that we talk about in politics today um, is actually remarkably resilient. Uh, it isn't the case that uh, all of the uh, social conservatives or cultural conservatives are being rapidly outflanked uh, by uh, social liberals. It is actually a fairly balanced um, playing field. But I think the more substantive point uh, here is actually about ideology. I think sort of Peter and Ed have talked as if, you know, the Conservative government is essentially the same as Blair and the New Labour revolution. I, I just don't think that is true. Uh, what we have seen, uh, in particular since 2019, less of it since 2017, is I would argue the first serious pushback against uh, a political consensus that has arguably dominated this country really since the era of Thatcher. I mean, things morphed and changed in different ways. I think the Conservatives introduced economic liberalism and, and Blair and New Labour introduced cultural liberalism. But for the first time, we have um, a government that is serious about um, shifting the dial away from London and the graduate class. Uh, Miriam has already mentioned uh, some of the key policies, investing in vocational technical education, the uh, lifetime skills uh, work, the uh, adult skills uh, initiative. If you're a non-graduate, there has basically never been a better time uh, to be uh, in uh, the UK. On immigration, uh, free movement is, is over. We now have a reformed immigration system. Yes, you might say net migration levels remain too high, or they may come back to being too high after COVID. But for the first time in a long time, uh, the era of what you might call loosely mass uncontrolled migration uh, is, is no longer uh, in place. I think we also have a more assertive um, uh, sort of uh, a willingness to, to, to speak about the positives in Britain, uh, not just cling to a very civic nationalist mindset that talks endlessly about redefining 
um, Britishness, around multiculturalism, around the celebration of diversity. I think we have a political class that is more willing to talk about the positives in British history. Uh, in my line of work, uh, this is the first government that has taken seriously the issue of academic freedom and protecting viewpoint diversity in our, in our universities, which was a manifesto commitment and is going through the House now. So you talk about the domination of you know, cultural, progressive, uh, left-wing activists. For the first time, we now have legislation designed to protect gender-critical scholars, uh, conservative scholars, Brexit-supporting uh, scholars, um, you know, which, which I think epitomizes conservatism as being actually um, uh, more willing to, to, to push back in, in some of these uh, institutions. International aid uh, is another area that has been changed, something that we couldn't previously touch uh, uh, in earlier years. It was not up for debate. Now it is. What, what do we want to spend on international aid? Uh, where do we want it to go? Uh, Peter talks about family. If you read the racial disparity report, that's the first serious attempt to discuss other factors that contribute to disparities between different groups, including family breakdown. We're now having a conversation about those things. Um, and, and lastly, um, in terms of you know, heritage and history and tradition, I do think um, we've entered an era where conservatives um, are publicly rediscovering the ability to actually talk about what is positive uh, in um, Britain and also in particular within uh, England. Uh, I think that conversation is open in a way that it wouldn't have been open had uh, New Labour or the Blairite um, uh, tradition um, continued. And it isn't actually, I don't think, a party that is just full of um, the sons of gentlemen. We've got more Conservative MPs today from a comprehensive school, uh, state school background than we've, than we've had for a very long time. Uh, the Conservative Party actually now has fewer graduates than the Labour Party. Uh, so the, the profile, I think, of politics, it's not perfect and it's still ridiculously um, um, disproportionately dominated by elite groups, but it is beginning to change. And I think that is reflected in our political discussion, um, not only uh, in terms of what's happening at elections, but also ideologically. So some big ideas and big themes there. I'm going to have to come straight back to you guys with to respond to that essentially shopping list of ways in which the Tory party has changed. It's no longer just Blair continued. You've heard it. It's a, it's a very different beast. Um, I, I would say I'm not like a, my demeanor. I'm not a complete doomer about everything. I mean, I do think there has been pushback because I think they realize at this point, <clears throat> for instance, you know, um, most institutions in Britain are now so skewed politically that the Conservatives realize you've got to do something. You know, in the past, they, you know, they had Roger Scruton and they basically stitched them up. Um, over some story. Um, but now they realize, okay, we've got to do something. The universities thing, uh, it's becoming apparent that sending 50% of people to universities is an insane idea. It's like the worst, one of the worst ideas imaginable. It, all, you know, it has loads of terrible outcomes, and one of which is it makes people more left-wing, but I suppose they can't openly say that. And um, <laughs> the housing issue is the biggest thing for, because people can't afford housing. It's, it's just, it's absurd, the situation. People can't afford the housing. They're not going to have families. They're not going to vote conservative. Um, so I'm not like a, you know, a complete doomer about that. My worry is that once you know, institutions, and if you have that amount of skew politically amongst like, uh, professions and amongst the most educated, unfortunately, those kind of people do tend to win most things in life. They, they tend to win most debates. They just have more power. So the Conservatives can, you know, now the Conservatives are the People's Party, um, but they are facing you know, huge... Uh, opposition from basically the establishment, and in America the same. You know, the Republican Party, uh, you know, most main, you know, main institutions in America now are overwhelmingly Democrat skewed. Even the army now is is uh, is basically very highly politicized. We've got very sort of, you know, that's my doomerous things. Peter, what, what say you to this? The Tory Party has changed, and you didn't acknowledge it. No, I, there are fig leaves, but the, the Roger Scruton episode, which Ed mentioned, is 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 symbolic of this. They they put Roger Scruton into an empty, futile post and then immediately sacked him from it in a panic uh, when the new statesman made an attack on him with the backing of several Tory MPs who joined in the witch hunt. Uh, there, is no, there is no backbone on this sort of subject in the Tory party. Uh, you mentioned uh, comprehensive schools, uh, saying that the fact that some Tory MPs had been to comprehensive schools somehow suggested there was no privilege. Uh, the Sutton Trust established some time ago that the better comprehensive schools, the ones you get into by living in the expensive catchment areas, are more socially selective 
uh, than Eton. Uh, this, this doesn't mean anything. Uh, and in fact, anybody who, who, who defends comprehensive schools certainly can't be a conservative because comprehensive schools were a device uh, put together by the left wing to destroy conservatism in this country and uh, particularly to wreck conservative education. The Tory party has never done, had never done anything, lifted more than half a little finger uh, to defend them or, or to defend the grammar schools which preceded them or restore them. And there is, there is no sign in the Conservative Party of any serious conservatism. And if one were to get on to foreign policy uh, and on to defence policy, where the, 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 the behaviour of this, this government and its, and its predecessors have been utterly disgraceful, uh, we could be, be here all night. No, these are fig leaves. They're not, they're, they're not the real but thing. But what about the things that this side were mentioning, the, the new profile of conservative vote? I mean, you must acknowledge that Things have changed in the last three years. Things, things, things very have, interesting things, things have, have changed because of the, the, the Gillian Duffy episode where, where Gordon Brown was fantastically rude to one of his own voters and, and, and Labour voters began to realise that they were despised by their own party. And particularly the immigration, uh, the whole immigration topic made that happen. And the referendum itself detached huge numbers of formerly loyal Labour Party voters from their party and made them available for the Conservative Party. But that doesn't mean the Conservative Party has become more conservative, does it? It just means the Conservative Party has a larger pool of, of, of voters. It means Labour has imploded uh, and, uh, and is in trouble and there are voters looking for some, somewhere to go and they don't find the Conservative Party particularly repulsive. Well, in some ways, you would think in a proper adversarial country that Labour voters ought to think the Conservative Party was repulsive. What would be the point of it otherwise? Miriam and Matt, let's, let's ask you the reverse question that these guys have said. I mean, the things that you touched on very lightly and sort of passed over uh, areas where the Conservative Party isn't conservative, such as family policy, that's something you care strongly about. Um, there's very little talk... At, Morals don't get talked about very much. All of the kind of thing, the sort of more social conservative ideas, they they're pretty absent, aren't they? So, what, what? How can it be conservative without that? Well, we're we're certainly starting from a very different position now than we were fifty or hundred years ago. But that's the point. We're starting from this position, and as conservatives, ultimately, we're pragmatists. And I suppose the question is. Uh, how do we get from here to what we would see as a more conservative agenda or more socially um, conservative agenda? And actually, I think a lot of people, particularly in constituencies like mine, have very conservative principles. I think we as a party are very bad at talking about them and articulating uh, what we mean. So family policy, for example, um, people are so conditioned in this country to a particular taxation system, individualistic taxation system, where it's actually quite hard to form a family, and people don't realise what it's like elsewhere. They have much more family-friendly policies. Now, I think our job as a conservative, policy, a conservative party is to be much more articulate about what's great about the family, what policies we could have, and people like Andrea Leadsom are starting to do that with her uh, early years review, uh, and other people are starting to talk about these issues. Family hubs, bringing the community together. So I think it's not that people are necessarily not conservative, it's that we've become so bad at talking about those conservative values, so bad at articulating them, that we almost don't have a language for it anymore. And I think we're finding that again. Um, you know, certainly in the work that I've been doing, um, you know, as I said, with, with Andrea Ledson. But it, it's true, we have got a battle ahead of us, but we are starting from here and we've got to be pragmatic about that. But would you concede that the Conservative Party is not socially conservative? No, I'd say it's a very broad church. And unlike in the Labour Party, we are having an honest, open and free debate about it. Uh, and there are people on all sides of the argument, which I'm afraid... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You know, as we've seen from the Labour Party conference last week, is not, is not the case. So, yes, there is a wide range of opinion in the Conservative Party, but are we, you know, are we open to those more socially conservative ideas, and are we talking about them? Yes. Do you think, um, I don't know, say George Osborne's thing was, you know, he wants to get more uh, mothers back into the workforce. Do you think a Conservative government would say, you know what, we would make it easier for women to stay at home and look after the children and then go on Radio 4 and then say, we think this is a good thing? I mean, because I think these issues are so, like, taboo amongst a certain section of the population that no one wants to say that and be the, really, you know... Well, no I, I agree with you. I think motherhood is a blessing. It's a gift. It is a really important job. I stopped working as a teacher to bring up my kids. I was a stay-at-home mum for a number of years. And I think the problem is that society, not the Conservative Party necessarily, but society as a whole, has reduced parenting to, to childcare. And parenting is a heck of a lot more than childcare. It's about passing on your virtues and your values. Um, and I think, yes, the successive governments have pushed both parents full-time into the workplace and has created an enormous amount of problems um, in society. And you're right, saying, actually, maybe it's better for, for parents to stay at home more in those first few years of, of a child's life is difficult, but these are the kind of discussions that we are having in the Conservative Party, um, which just isn't happening on the left. So I know it's not a very promising picture, but it's certainly more promising than what's happening in the left. And, you know, and again, when, I, you know, when you talk to voters in the red wall, sorry to use that phrase again, but people innately understand this, and people choose family over work. And I think this... This discussion about getting women into the workplace has been a very elitist discussion because it's been about women with careers. Most women don't have careers, they have jobs. So if you only have, if you have a job that you're actually not putting your life and soul into necessarily, is it worth leaving your children in childcare to do that job when you're barely covering the cost of that child? No, it isn't. And so many women choose not to have the career, they choose to have the children instead. So yeah, I'm not saying it's an incredibly rosy picture and there are people, many people actually in our party on the backbenches who are working to talk about these things. But the point is there is a debate, it is chiming with people, uh, you know, with voters in the country. And so, you know, we're making progress, which is hopefully a good thing. Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I certainly think there is, a, there is a consensus internationally that the... the, the um, the political project that Peter um, and Ed have talked about um, got a lot of things wrong. And I think that if you look at economics, for example, there's now a consensus that third-way Blairism, uh, hyper-globalization um, came with some huge costs to uh, local communities, especially working-class communities, especially areas outside of big cities and university towns. I think there's a consensus that the left is in trouble with what you might call radical woke progressives. I think there is a view that the Democrats should have done much better in 2020 than they did, and that ideologically they're going up a, a cul-de-sac. They don't have the um, answers to some of the pressing questions. So the flip side to this debate is is, um, you know, if things are doomed for the Conservatives, they should be rosy for, for social and cultural liberals. And I don't see it that way at all, actually. I think the arguments that are being presented on the other side are deeply detached from mainstream public opinion. And you can see that in the surveys in Britain. Most Labour MPs, for the first time in British history, um, John May in 1973 came up with May's Law, which, which was that um, party activists are the most radical and... Uh, Party MPs and party voters are, are the moderates. For the, for the first time in British history, Labour MPs are now the most radical 
uh, more radical even than their activists, who last week voted 70% against the AUKUS uh, deal, which was remarkable. Um, and I think we also can see in some of the surveys from King's, um, Frank Luntz's work at CPS, among others, that the, the social, cultural, liberal end of the spectrum has become so radical uh, that it is now looking quite threatening to a lot of voters. And I think that's a huge opportunity, actually, for conservatism to have some of the discussions uh, that we've been talking to. We are talking about, we are actually beginning to talk about family breakdown in a serious way. I mean, I was working with the Education Committee on uh, Working Class Children, uh, uh, which pointed specifically to that issue. And these are very, I, I, I sympathize, sympathize with Peter's point. These are fairly small things in the, in the, in the you know, in, the, in terms of the wider landscape. But, but the other way of thinking about them is actually perhaps they're seeds that are growing into a different debate, perhaps a debate that we've not had before, uh, or at least in recent history about these issues. Um, you can't look at what's happening around disparity, the disparity of outcomes among different groups, and not involve the family at some point. That debate is inevitably going to have to happen. And I think it is um, starting to happen. So I'm perhaps a little bit more optimistic. So that, I mean, it, it occurs to me, and just to kind of chime in here, that what you're describing is a party that is succeeding because it's identified a new kind of electorate, but there's not that much that's very conservative about that new electorate. They, they reject this kind of outlandishly radical liberalism. It doesn't mean that they're conservative, they're just not extremely liberal. They want, they're very comfortable with massive uh, state intervention, massive government expenditure. They, they are voting conservative, but are they conservative? I think, I think the new 2019 electorate in many ways is very conservative. Uh, Johnson mainly pulled down the red wall because he tapped into voters that wanted to leave the European Union, dramatically reduce migration, uh, were very proud of their country, uh, and um, I think uh, were deeply alarmed by the direction of the Labour Party, which they saw as a threat to the nation, which is one of the most conservative views you can have. Um, so I, I don't think these are a new breed of voters that somehow don't fit on the landscape. I think in many ways they are, uh, they are conservative. But also remember, Freddie, Britain as a whole, I mean, one of the remarkable things about the last decade in British politics is Britain as a whole, it, there is a liberal drift taking place. I mean, I don't disagree with Ed on that. We are gradually becoming more liberal. Yet the conservatives have somehow managed still to dominate uh, electoral politics and push through, you know, particularly since 2019, some fairly important things. And that's quite a remarkable But that is because they've embraced the, the, the liberalism that Ed talks about. So they have become what they beheld. Uh, you lot are far to the, to, to the left of Morris Glassman and Paul Embury and the, 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 the blue Labour people in the Labour Party, and you'll, you'll stay there. So it is, it, the things that you mentioned are so trivial and minor, and you know will come to nothing. The direction of the, of the Tory party is perfectly clear. It, take one simple issue on which anybody who's, who's conservative must be at the very least highly skeptical, the, the, the issue of, of man-made global warming and the, 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 the policies which this government has adopted uh, to, to supposedly to combat it. There's no opposition to those permitted in the Conservative Party. It doesn't even exist. It is the principal pillar of left-wing politics in, in Britain today is green politics. Everything else flows out from it, and you're com you completely and utterly subscribe to what I regard as a as, as deliberate national economic suicide as a party. Your prime minister constantly prates about it. So I, you, you can't really claim to have any conservative elements. So why not just accept that you are a, 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 a Blairite party and that you've, uh, you've, you've won office and might keep it by doing so? Uh, rather than pretending. I, if you called yourself the Socialist Workers' Party, I wouldn't have anything against you at all. <laughs> Miriam. Um, yeah, on, on the net zero, I, I agree. I think there's a danger that it becomes an ideology rather than a pragmatic approach to, danger. Um, to improve the climate, which obviously is a conservative value. But, you know, there is 
there are MPs in the Conservative Party speaking out about this and talking about how we need to make sure that net zero is affordable, that we take a pragmatic approach to it, that we take a costed approach to it. And I think you have to look at the Conservative Party as a whole. You can't just look at what the executive is doing. You know, we do have freedom of speech in our party, and I'd like to think that backbenchers at least have some influence on, on what goes on. So, you, have, you, you know, what, on the net zero... What happened to the, the whip's office? You have freedom of speech? Yes, absolutely. So what happened to the whip's office? I don't think you do. I don't certainly well, don't uh, my experience as a backbencher is that all whips are lovely. Um, <laughs> but, but in, ter terms of, like. in terms of... In terms of conservative... Um, in terms of con one of the most conservative returns to conservatism that we've seen in, in 2019 and beyond is this the politics of place. And I think one of the things that Blair and, and, and successive governments just lost was this idea of the importance of place and the identity of place. And I think that's a really conservative value. And actually, people in, in Yorkshire, people in, in towns and villages have chosen to stay in the left-behind areas, even though there aren't opportunities, because place is so important. And I think that's a deeply conservative value, to be attached to your place and your community. And that is something that this government and this party is talking about again. That's the whole point of levelling up, that you shouldn't have to leave Stocksbridge or Peniston to get a good job or get a good education. It should be available to you uh, where you are. I think that is, A, a very conservative agenda, uh, but B, will help people to have more conservative values because they see that uh, agenda working out in, in their lives. And it, if, if we have fewer people migrating all the time from villages and towns to cities, that also stops this demographic, demogra uh, demographic drift. So I think the politics of place is a very conservative idea and something that is new about this party. So the, the essence of conservatism is you stay where you were and, 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 and wait there where all the lights go out. Well, come to Yorkshire. It's a fantastic place to live. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, Peter, can I just ask you here... Your plan, as I understand it from your opening statement, is to destroy the Conservative Party. Well, that, the, was the only, my, that was my plan. The I, only I, route I, I, devoted, to... I devoted 17 utterly wasted years of my life to trying to achieve it. And then I realized that people didn't want to do it. So I, I gave up uh, political activism. And, and, and it, it's amazing how much happier I am since I completely abandoned all hope. And pessimism is, is the key to happiness. If you put any kind of faith in, 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 in these people and their party, then you're doomed to endless disappointment and misery. Forget it. They're not going to deliver anything. So can they have you no see idea how to do so. It's all over. <laughs> Enjoy the final years before we sink giggling into the sea. So there is... So, so, so that even if the Conservative Party was destroyed, in your view, there is no route to a more Conservative... Well, in 2010, if the Conservative Party had been destroyed, then people would have realised that they had no friend at Westminster and they needed to create one. But the, what followed, the era of the coalition and then, and, and then the, the era of Johnson and the immense confusion of the, of the referendum, I think has made that impossible. I don't also think there are, any, there are enough conservative intellectual, journalistic or academic resources left in this country to create an intelligent conservative revival. What I fear and have always feared is of some sort of British Trumpism, a loud, raucous, yelling uh, substitute for conservatism, which might well... Uh, come stamping over the fields once everybody's lights go out and they all lose their jobs and their, their, their wages shrivel away in inflation. That's a danger. Uh, the, the Trump thing has always been a danger and it, it, it could come here from either direction, it seems to me. Uh, you look at the increasing coarseness that's coming from the, the Labour Party and their deputy leader in politics, it could easily come from, from this side of the, of, of, of the House of Commons as well. It's, there is, as things get worse... Always a danger of fake, yelling populist politics, which leaves nowhere but misery. But I place no hope in that. Uh, and nor should anybody else who has any sense, because you saw where it led with, with, uh, with Donald Trump. And we wouldn't want that here, would we? Would we? So, do, <laughs> do you either of you want to come in? Yeah, I mean, Peter... <laughs> talk, I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure where, where you want to go with the Conservative Party. Um, Aren't you? I, can I not be any clearer? <laughs> I'm also not sure the, uh, the sort of social conservative electorate that you're pointing to is, is big enough to make that project even viable. I think the art of conservatism is adapting and pushing back when you can, or in the words of Roger Scruton, who you uh, referenced earlier on, is to delay where possible. Uh, and I, I think there are many voters who probably read your columns, Peter, during the late 1990s and the 2000s watching the new Labour experiment unfold and who probably do feel that this is a breath of fresh air given that some of the central pillars of that project have 
either been removed or have been completely modified. I mean, the era of Britain being a sort of you know member state of the European Union, having uh, a much weaker national democracy, having very little influence over its domestic laws and courts, is over. Uh, the era of, of mass immigration, you might argue, could continue if we have leaders that decide they want to continue it. But I, I suspect, actually, that won't be the case. I suspect that overall levels will come down because of the third point, which you mentioned, which is factions. And you say, well, factions are really what is all that matters. Well, the faction within the Conservative Party has fundamentally changed. I mean, the Conservative Party now cannot get away with a return to social economic liberalism because the faction that is dominant within the Conservative Party won't allow it. And, and that immediately limits the options that Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak and whoever else has because they cannot stay in power or continue this period of, of dominance without listening to what seats like Mirans um, have to say and, and without actually putting those voters front and centre. I think, you know, in the broad spectrum, uh, that's, a, that's actually a very positive thing. Which faction is that? Well, I, I think, yeah, I think the non-graduate, blue-collar, um, culturally conservative... But they're, they're, we actually, unheard, we did a series of interviews with new intake MPs just before the pandemic, and we, we never got around to finishing it, but it was stunning how Thatcherite and Libertarian they all were. All these people from the new red wall seats, we were expecting all of this kind of talk of you know, more state interventional cultural conservatism, the Goodwin phrase of leaning left on the economy and right well, on culture. I think that's, we, we didn't see it. <laughs> I think in fair, if, <laughs> got it. David Goddard and I have an ongoing argument about who came up with that first. But anyway, um, uh, and, and actually, while I'm while I'm mentioning David, I mean, you know, you talk about family and his book, Head, Hand and Heart, is again talks specifically about um, re returning the conversation to, to some of these issues around around family. The Common Sense Group uh, within the Conservative Party. Uh, has been talking about uh, many of these issues from within the party. I'm not here to say I think the Conservative Party is the best thing in the world, and I'm not here to say that I think this is a fundamentally different brand of conservatism, but I am suggesting that one of the lessons of the last two years or so is that I think in some important ways the tide has started to turn and Conservatives are willing to venture into territory that they weren't willing to do during the uh, 2000s and, and, and for much of the 2010s. So Rishi Sunak standing up earlier today and essentially announcing a kind of continuity Osborneitism with uh, you know importance of maintaining spending care with spending. He was basically it was a sort of homage to George Osborne. Um, got a big big round of applause. Do you you think that there's big factions in the Tory Party who will resist that? Well, in fairness, I haven't actually seen Rishi okay. speak yet, but um, but no, I think there are. There are um, certainly lots of voters who uh, would not feel particularly comfortable with that. I mean, all political parties are alliances of like, contradictory groups. So, I mean, there's always going to be... I mean, I think the only thing I would add to that is that the only one good thing about COVID, maybe the unintended consequences, is that we actually were able to do an experiment about wages and immigration, which for years, you know, the leading economists said, oh, no, you know... I, Unskilled mass immigration does not affect British workers in this negative way. That's just stupid, you know, populism. Um, and then Brexit is followed immediately by a lockdown, which lots of people leave, and we see wages shoots up. And what what Brexit voters have actually been saying all along is like this is putting down on wages is definitely true. Um, and that is something at least the Conservatives now can like aspire to say we can be the high wage party. You know, we, we can make family life affordable. You can get a decent wage. We're not going to stand... And I don't think they would have done that if it wasn't for the, like, the free ferrets of, of COVID. I, I think they would have just probably moved to um, continual you know, six-figure numbers, but from outside the EU. It'll be interesting um, to see how they create the flourishing manufacturing industry employing all these people on high wages, which they destroyed so systematically in the 1980s. I don't know quite where that's going to come from, I didn't especially, after, especially, other especially after the economic suicide of the, of the COVID. Well, but people are going to other things. People's wages are going up in, in every area. And that's, yeah, I mean, so prices. You're sounding rather oh. optimistic. Though. That's a good thing. Yeah. Anybody who sits next to me looks optimistic. Let's, let's <laughs> make a couple of... Okay, yes. Can Danny Kruger be persuaded to uh, 
Is he going to chime in? So, of course these guys are right. Of course we're doomed. We're conservatives. We believe we're doomed. <laughs> What's the point of being a conservative if you're not essentially pessimistic? But the, and the conserv you're also right, the Conservative Party is a vehicle for the perpetuation of power of conservatives. That's what our party has always done. But the point is it does so democratically by trusting the people and basically imbibing their prejudices as those change over time and becoming the vehicle of the people. And that's what it is again today. Peter Hitchens decided what he thought of the Conservative Party in about 2001, has written the same article and said, made the same speech for 20 years and refuses, in spite of all the evidence which we've just heard, that the Conservative Party is different in this generation and since Brexit. So my question to you all is, whatever you think of the state of the party, and, and I'd be interested in both sides' views, what can the party do to win the next election? We're going to get a summary statement by all four of our panellists, and then we're going to do a vote. <laughs> So we need you to stick around for the vote moment. Who is going to go first? I think Professor Goodwin, since you were looking like you weren't quite ready to speak. Summing up. Yeah. Have you been persuaded by anything that the opposition, in this case, has said? Only that I might be a Marxist-Leninist. I'm not, <laughs> not sure if I am. I don't think I am. Um, no, I mean, I've not, I've not been persuaded. Um, uh, I think, for reasons that I that I listed in my my opening statement, um, I think we're on the cusp of of quite an important change um, in in the mood music, both both in Britain and internationally. And the, the the one aspect of this debate that we've not really got into is is actually what does the future hold for the other side, um, and the sort of assumption that has run through our discussion. Um, uh, this afternoon has really been that uh, it's the Conservatives that are doomed for ideological reasons uh, and therefore the opposition will thrive for ideological reasons. I actually think social democracy, um, socialism, um, whatever your preferred term, um, has run straight into a cul-de-sac with uh, identity politics and to go to the chap's question with, on, on um, identity liberalism or or wokeism, whatever your favourite term uh, is, that, that no longer has the capacity to unify uh, and unite a country because it, it is not a unifying narrative. And the only unifying narratives today that, that really exist in politics still, as we've discovered during the pandemic, actually, uh, in some ways, are narratives that, that relate to the nation in some way. Um, and, and those narratives will always uh, play uh, strongly to the Conservatives uh, and will always be very difficult ones to, to outflank for the Labour Party as we have seen at the Labour conference where the room for manoeuvre for Keir Starmer is, is very, very limited because his activist base is so radical. So in answer to the question of what does the Conservative Party need to do to win the election, I think um, the last slogan was get Brexit done. Um, I agree with Frank Luntz, uh, who I debated earlier on today, who suggested the slogan at the next election uh, should be getting it done um, and showing uh, a meaningful uh, showing a meaningful return to voters who moved from Labour to the Conservatives at the last election, which I think actually the Conservative Party can do. I, I'm not in this world where I'm just not seeing the Conservative Party delivering anything, uh, and I'm not in this world where I'm just sort of thinking that actually a viable proposition is going back to the social conservatism of the 80s and the 90s. I think the public mood has moved on to such an extent that, uh, that, that the rules of the game have changed and the Conservatives have done, I think, quite well to adapt uh, to them. So, no, I've not been convinced. Um, and uh, I think, uh, hopefully, uh, many of you have remained unconvinced and will vote for Team Optimism. Thank okay. you. Um, Peter Hitchens, we, we uh, took you all the way up here to Manchester. Have you found your pessimism slightly altered by this conversation? Are there, are there sudden rays of hope in your uh, perspective? Good heavens, no. Uh, what, 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 one wouldn't come to Manchester for optimism anyway, would one? Um, no, I just wanted to go through a few, very quickly, a few things. On the green issue, which as I say is probably the biggest political issue of our time, the Conservative Party remains entirely in the hands of the, of, of the Gramscian left and has absolutely no, uh, makes no attempt even to argue against it, let alone to depart from it. This, this, the effect of this on economy, society, and culture uh, of embracing this cult is, is, is so huge that it would stand by itself as a condemnation. There are other things. There has been no attempt now in many years of, of allegedly conservative rule to undo any of the disaster inflicted 
on our education system by, uh, by Labour and the Tories in the 1960s and 1970s, the destruction of the best secondary state schools in the world and their replacement by a hopeless uh, mess which, which pr provides better education to the rich than the poor, but far worse education than it ever did. Nothing, absolutely nothing, and leave aside university expansion. Defence, an absurd clinging to a ridiculous Cold War superpower weapon when the Cold War has been over since 1990 and we are not a superpower, uh, while the actual effective navy melts away to levels not seen in, in recorded history. And our army is now rather smaller than the token force permitted to Vichy France by Hitler. Uh, these are conservative issues on which the Conservative Party has nothing whatever to say. Uh, and, and ultimately, I, as I've said for a long time, the Conservative Party would guillotine the monarch in, the, in Trafalgar Square if it thought that it would keep it in office. I see nothing. <laughs> uh, it's not a joke. I mean, they're perfectly capable of it. There's, there, there, there is, there's, there's nothing they will not do for office because they have no other principle but office. And if, there, if, there, if this hadn't been demonstrated before the era of David Cameron, it has been demonstrated since, there is no truly valuable policy uh, that any serious conservative would, would wish to see done which the Conservative Party has not either deserted or actually spat upon uh, in my lifetime. And why should anyone hope for anything else? I think I was accused of writing the same article since 2001. Well, you haven't read them, obviously, because they haven't been the same. They've gone into a lot of detail about the cumulative disaster of, of, of this. But the, 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 other, the other point that I would make is I asked, uh, what, no, should, should the Conservatives win? Can the Conservatives win the next election? I don't care. What difference would it make to me as a conservative whether two Blairite parties, which of two Blairite parties, uh, runs the government? Uh, one which has totally embraced equality and diversity uh, and political correctness at all points and, and, and greed dogma, and another which has totally and completely embraced political correctness, equality and diversity uh, and, and green dogma. Why should I care? Why should I make any effort? I, I, I would like to be wrong. Part of the reason why I continue to say what I say about the Conservative Party, that it should be destroyed, that there is no hope, is that possibly uh, people seeing this might realise that there is absolutely no point in putting any faith in this ridiculous organisation, but that if the, the, they might conceivably find some hope in proving me wrong and showing that there is in this country enough of the spirit uh, to undo the terrible damage that has been done over the past 50 years. But I see no sign of it, uh, and I, I have to say, I'm sorry to say, that coming to Manchester hasn't altered that. One okay. bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, how to follow that? Um, I think you're in the minority in enjoying being pessimistic. Um, and I think mm. most people want hope. And I think that's uh, what actually the Conservative Party does offer people in the levelling up agenda. I know I've said it a number of times. But we do have a vision as a party. We're not carrying it out perfectly. Of course we're not. We're not starting from a perfect place. We've got plenty of difficult decisions ahead of us. But we do have a vision and we do have hope. And I think that is what will draw people to vote for us at the next election. And I don't think it's true that we haven't rode back on some of the liberalising agenda. When we've stood up against reforming the Gender Recognition Act, Sajid Javid on Twitter last week came out about the, you know, the science of what is a woman. It's not true that we're not standing up against these things. Um, and you know, I think the, the Conservative Party will become the party of women's rights very soon. And that's, you know, it, it, in some ways, that's quite unbelievable. But I think that is where we're heading, looking at... Um, the Labour Party. So what do we need to do to win the next election? Well, I think we've got to deliver. We can't stand up at the next election having made all these promises about levelling up and not actually having delivered some of them. I think we need to be honest. I think voters do understand the economic problems that there are following COVID, potentially with net zero. I think we need to be honest about that. Um, and I think we need to start talking honestly about the family, about family breakdown, about education. You're right, we're not there, that yet, there yet, but I do think we've got the potential to form those policies uh, and to carry them through to the next election. So I am hopeful. We're not perfect, but I think we do, we do carry hope, we do have a vision, and I think that will be enough uh, to carry conservatism through to the next generation. Okay. Well, I thought I was pessimistic. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. But I think next to Peter, I think I'm <laughs> mind to see hopeful about the future. I, I still want the Conservatives to win. Um, just because they're better than the alternative. You know, they, I mean, sure, you know, Labour believe in equality diversity, Conservatives believe in it, but yeah, in three or five years' time, we're just going to slow things down. Um, on my pessimistic side, I think, you know, the um, some of, it's a sign of how bad things are that some of the pushback against kind of this kind of madder trans agenda stuff, um, which, by the way, all teenagers are now getting brainwashed with, which is just happening, and I can see it ha- happening now. Um, was by using gender-critical feminists as basically a human shield, because you know, there's no conservatives who will go out there and, and use a conservative argument against this. We have to use other progressives to fight it. Uh, I mean, that makes me very pessimistic. On the, you know, the wokeism issue, like, I hate using that word woke, but some of the sort of more crazed progressive agenda, which people do naturally fear, um, I think it can go on for quite a long time. People can believe quite obviously untrue things for a long time. If it doesn't affect them in too much of a bad way, they can still, you know, profess to believe it. The reason like crime never really goes entirely, you know, every kind of radical experiment with crime always ends because you can't really ignore crime. People are getting shot or stabbed in your street. Um, but some of this stuff can go on and go on and go on. Um, I mean, I agree with a lot of Matt said. I think he makes good points about, particularly about the idea of the nation. But, I mean, in some ways, this is a kind of battle between, you know, like, the ruling class are basically international now. They don't really have, um, you know, the, the, the period of the great national loyalties is in huge decline. It has been since the time of the First World War. And there were just economic reasons to do that, to do with the global English, to do with um, the internet, the global economy. Um, and so the nation thing becomes uh, a kind of, like, minority opinion. And that's why the Conservatives, you know, increasingly are more of a working class party. Um, but they are, you know, they are set against the kind of ruling class. And, and that's a very difficult agenda to pull off. So, you know, that's my basic thing, is that you're fighting against, like, the most well-connected, the most well-educated. You go to any elite institution these days, including the top public schools, and, you know, they are woke, to use that horrible word. Um, there's not a single one left, even the military. You know, you have to fight against that, and it's not going to be done, even if you have a majority in government, unless you actually try to win back some institutions. So that's, that makes me quite pessimistic about the future. OK. Let's... Um... <laughs> if we put the lights up, I'm going to ask you to vote. There we go. So the motion has been slightly amended. We're not saying, are the Tories doomed? We're now asking the question, are conservatives doomed? Team Doom over here has made a very eloquent case for how, even though the party may look different, fundamentally it's not conservative and the long-term prospects are grim. Over here, Team Sunshine has suggested that actually they are much more truly conservative than they are getting credit for, and plus, they're winning. So, please raise your hand if you think the conserv- that conservatives are doomed. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try and do that without an exact count, but I think that might be more than half the room. Let's see the other half. Please raise your hand if you think they are not doomed. <laughs> I can confirm, ladies and gentlemen, that Team Doom has been came here for hope, we, we have not delivered it. Um, quite the reverse, but thank you so much for coming. You found it, it was great to see you. This was Unheard. Check us out on unheard.com.